0: It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermel Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your ice castle dealer in Pine River, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Brainerd Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, the power line, Lodge, Chef Roberts Fish Breading Mix, SW Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Napa Auto Parts in Baxter, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Nielsen Hardware and RV, your Central Minnesota Ice Castle Dealer. And by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Ryan Moon.
1: And welcome into this week's show. We've got a lot to cover. Lake Reports, Ray Gildow's been up on Winnie, Leach. The immediate Brainerd Lakes area, so he's got the latest there. Steve Saponiak out on Mille Lacs. We'll also head down to the Twin Cities Metro and talk to Brian Koshinina with Muskies and More Guide Service. Talk a little bit about what it's like being a guide down there and how the fishing's been. And also talk some grouse numbers with Ted Dick with the Minnesota DNR. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we'll kick off the show with our lake and field reports, brought to you by Oars and Mine in Crosby. No matter if your goal is pike, trout, walleyes, or bass, Oars and Mine gives you 10 different ways to get the bite. The next time you're in the Cuyuna area, Oars and Mine is a must-stop located on Highway 6 in Crosby. And we'll kick the show off with our local report. As always, we bring in uh, Ray Gildow with the Nisswa Guides League. And Ray not only locally here keeps us updated on what's going on, he also keeps a very keen eye on Winnie on Leech and other lakes as well. You just came off the water, Ray. Uh, How'd we do?
2: Uh, It was a very good morning. Uh, Beautiful day. It was one of these days where we had a break in the wind because we have had a lot of wind. And uh, we're bass fishing and the bass were biting, so it was a great morning. I'd like to start with a little story that was in the Minneapolis Star Tribune this past weekend about my longtime friend, Marv Kemp. And I don't know if you saw that, or I know a lot of people have seen it. And it's really an interesting story for this reason. I would say it's fair to say that the walleye bite in the Brainerd area has been pretty tough during the daytime. We've had a lot of 90-degree, 90 92-degree days, not a lot of wind on some of those hot days. And uh, Marv was fishing with Dennis Anderson, who's a writer from the Star Tribune. And he also takes a priest out, Father Mike. And uh, I think the day before, a few days before, they were fishing walleyes. Different guys were fishing with him. And it's just been a tough bite. You go out and get one or two fish. It's you know that's the way it is. So anyway, when uh, Dennis Anderson from the Star Tribune came up and got in the boat with Marv and the father, they caught fifteen walleyes on North Long Lake. And in this period of time, I, I call that a miracle. And uh, so I texted Marv and I said, "Man, it was you were, you had a miracle. It must be because you had a priest fishing with you." And he said, "No, it was my angel, Shelley." And for those people who know, Marv just lost his daughter about a month ago, uh, Shelley Bartella. And uh, it's just a kind of a cool story. And I also uh, texted back and forth with Dennis from the Star Tribune, and he said it really was a miracle because it was not a day where they expected to catch many fish. It was hot and muggy and not very comfortable. And so I thought that was really a cool story, uh, just the medicine Marv needed, I think, for the loss of his daughter. I'd like to jump up for just a minute to uh, Winnie. Because every week we get a report from uh, the High Banks Resort. And uh, Kim and Rick up there, Leonhart uh, do a great job. And they have a, a special that I just want to talk about. For anybody who's interested in going to Winnie, the last two weeks of August, if you have one member in your group who is a veteran, you get 50% off your cabins. And I think that's a pretty good deal. You know, like I said, if there's six people and one of the person, uh, one of the people is a veteran, the cabins are 50% off. You don't need any kind of identification. It's a, an honor system, and I think that's pretty cool. So while we're talking about that, let's just talk a little bit about that this week on Winnie because we have had some pretty good winds, some 25, 30-mile-an-hour days, and it's been blowing people off the big lake, and it's been blowing people off the big lake on Leach, too. <clears throat> so on Winnie, a lot of folks have started to slide up into that Cutfoot Sioux area, and looking for northern pike and looking for bluegill sunfish. They've been using night crawlers and it's been a good bite there. So if you're interested in panfish, uh, I think as I mentioned this before, uh, this is prime time for panfish and it's also prime time for bass. Uh, now there aren't bass in Winnie, which is pretty unusual, but it is a good time to go up there and catch uh, sunfish. And on Leech Lake, it's still been a pretty tough bite. Uh, there's some guys that go out in the evenings and there's some guys that go out on the days that are really windy, but for the most part, uh, if you're jumping in your boat and expect to go up there in the morning and come back with a limit of fish, you're probably going to be disappointed <clears throat> because it's, it's been a pretty tough bite up there. And I do think it's still, uh, with that time of the year, you know, that a lot of those, uh, early spring hatch fish are starting to get bigger. The crawdads are getting bigger. There's lots of natural bait in Leech Lake right now, as I've mentioned before. Good populations of tulipies, very good populations. The perch population is coming back, and the population of small walleyes is good. So that's all competition for people who are out there trying to catch fish. doesn't mean you shouldn't go out there and try, but it it does mean it's going to make it a little more difficult. And speaking of perch, which is my favorite fish to eat, uh, you know, we're about three weeks away, four weeks away from the perch starting to migrate. This time of the year, the perch are scattered all over the lake for the most part. You can catch them in 20 feet of water. You can catch them in two, three feet of water. Uh, and those young perch, the perch two years and younger, are for the most part eating zooplankton. They're not carnivorous yet. But when they get to be about two years old, they become meat eaters, and then they're going to eat night crawlers and anything else we can get their little mouths around but we're not far away from that uh, season where the water starts cooling down and the uh, perch will start moving out of the big lake into the shallows and they'll start going after little shiners and they'll go into those bays and feed and uh that's coming up uh walleye fishing the, the bass fishing in the Brainerd area i think is really good um uh, this morning like i said we really did well we got some really quality fish And they're all there. We threw them all back. Didn't keep any of them. And there's been a pretty good pike bite in the Brainerd area, too. Um, Most of these fish that we've been catching are in that 12 to 19 feet of water. And cabbage has been the key. When we find cabbage, we find fish. And um, it's just been a lot of fun. It's been been really a good summer considering how inconsistent our weather is. Our weather is just a little abnormal. Much hotter than normal, much more humid than normal, and, uh, but it's still good fishing.
1: It's Ray Gildow, Nisswa Guides League. You can check Ray out raygildow.com. He's all over social media and also, as we said, with the Nisswa Guides League. I appreciate the info. As always, Ray, good stuff. And we will check in with you next week.
2: Sounds, sounds good, Brian. Thank you.
1: Let's head out to Mille Lacs, get the report out there with Steve Sapaniak, Predator Guide Service. And, uh, Steve, I would imagine more of the same. You know, water temps continuing to jump up there. We came off a blistering hot weekend. And I would imagine that is affecting fishing somewhat out there.
0: No doubt, Brian. I watched the water temperature within uh, four days go up six degrees. I mean, when I'm leaving the big lake in the afternoon, trying to start my trips early in the afternoon, and uh, it's been 80 degrees, by the time, you know, evening comes, you're looking at 81 or more. And that's not good. Even my uh, trolling motor has a transducer on for up front. It's two feet down below the surface. That's even 80 degrees. So we're looking at August temperatures already, and not even the middle of July. And that is affecting the fishing altogether.
1: I asked you this last week, and I'll ask you again. Are you starting to see some tulip floating around out there, or we're still not quite there yet?
0: I'm starting to see more and more, which is sad. It's too early in the season. It shows that there is uh, too much uh, warm water way down there. And like I said, we're starting to see dozens of them and dozens of them. I'm afraid that within a couple of days we're going to start seeing the great big waves of over a mile long with them again. And that's not good this time of year. It makes me worried what's going to August bring.
1: Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, and it doesn't look like, I mean, things kind of this past week got a little bit more back to normal. But, um, you know, who knows? Like I said, we're heading into the dog days of summer, and, and that's usually when this stuff sort of happens. Uh, on the mus- musky front, Steve, uh, what can you report there? you have another good week?
0: You know, we started off really good. I can't complain about it. We got muskies boated, but then when the heat came, it seemed like everything slowed down quite a bit. We've had our chances, but not near as many chances as we would like. We had one or two days where we didn't even get a follow. That's when the water temperature was the highest, you know. But with the cooler weather we've had now the last few days, you know, it's going to get things back on track, hopefully, hopefully. You know, it all depends. If we can get some cool evenings, get that water temperature back down like 75, 76 degrees, the fish will start going. And it's not just the muskies, Brian, it's affecting. It's it's affecting the northern pike, the smallmouth, and largemouth bass as well because, you know, they like the shallower waters also. So, yeah, it's, it's the uh, cycle of uh, everything being affected, no doubt. The only thing that is still going gangbusters right now is the walleye fishing.
1: And those I would have to think that they're probably getting those a little bit deeper, which also brings in another problem.
0: Definitely. I know what you're going to say about the other problem. I was out doing a little walleye guiding uh, Sunday afternoon, and we found them in anywhere from uh, 21 feet of water all the way down to 28, 29 feet of water. The problem is, like you were going to mention, you pull them up from that deep and it's a lot of stress and you're going to see some walleyes that will not make it back into the deeper water simply because of that stress factor. And they're starting to see more and more walleyes floating dead on the surface. Now, I I don't think I'm going to blame all the fishermen for it because it's not their fault. There's nothing they can do about it. You will have walleyes that die just because of stress on their own. I know the DNR keeps a mortality count. You know, let's take that into consideration also.
1: That's for sure. Uh, one last thing on the muskie front, Steve, are you seeing, you know, with maybe some cooler temperatures at night, are you seeing some night anglers out there having success? Because a few years ago, Steve, that was the big thing. Uh, there was tons of night fishing for muskies out there. Is that starting to come back a little bit or is that uh, kind of the dead sea out there at night?
0: You know, I, I see a couple of anglers out there. I've been out, out there also myself. There, where it's just not like it was, you know, four or five years ago, the night fishing. Uh, you know, like I always say, anything with a brain can be conditioned. You know, I have found that if we get out there early, early in the morning at the crack of dawn, we're having pretty decent luck up until around 10, 11 o'clock, and then maybe a major or a minor in the afternoon. Brings us some luck, also. But as far as night fishing, which I love, it's one of my favorites for muskies. We're not seeing the anglers like we used to. I'm not quite sure why. I know the bite has been tougher. There are a few muskies caught in the evening, just at you know, just at sunset or an hour past sunset. But uh, nothing like we used to have.
1: Uh, last thing, Steve, you always keep an eye on some of those smaller lakes around Malax, and there's been uh, some chatter around here. Uh, I know up north uh, the, there's been some chatter as well of a crappie bite. Are you hearing anything around Malax?
0: You know, there has been. It's been a good panfish <clears throat> bite altogether. They're catching bluegills and they're catching crappies. They're catching these in the 8 to 12-foot range. And this time of year, it's unusual for them to be biting good. You'll pick up a few stragglers here and there a lot of my panfish lakes up around Malacic have been really doing good and kicking butt. If I had more days off from musket guiding, which I don't like to do, I would definitely be chasing the panfish. I love chasing them also.
1: There you go. Steve Spontiak, Predator Guide Service. Check him out at predatorguideservice.com. I appreciate the info, buddy, and uh, we'll check in next week, okay?
0: My pleasure, Brian. Thank you.
1: All right. We'll have more Brennered Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. It's always nice to uh, talk to Ted Dick. He's a good friend of the show. Ted is uh, with the Minnesota DNR. He is the uh, Forest Game Bird Coordinator. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about grouse on the show this week. Ted, welcome back.
3: Well, thank you, Brian. It's nice to be talking to you.
1: You guys finished up with your drumming counts. You've got some results and all that. We'll get into that here in just a bit. We also want to talk about the uh, Brainerd chapter of Rough Grouse Society's banquet that is coming up here in just a little bit, too. So we'll talk about that, as well as just some general grouse hunting. But I wanted to pick your brain, Ted, coming off of last year. The drumming counts were high. There was a lot of anticipation, a lot of excitement going into the season. Did you just not see the hunter numbers? Because a lot of the, the stuff that I saw was, was kind of, I don't want to say
3: disappointing,
1: but it was kind of a excitement about it and then not a lot of bang.
3: Yeah, I joke with people that I'm currently in the witness protection program and shouldn't be on the radio because I was the person who interpreted those drumming counts from last spring as something that was going to mean very good hunting in the fall, and typically it does. Um, We can talk about how drumming counts work and, and how we do that, but yeah, we had indications in the spring that um last fall was going to be a banner year for for hunting and it really didn't pan out that way i've i've been hunting in minnesota for many years and um i would call it one of my worst seasons ever that it's it's unusual to have those good indicators in the spring and then the hunting um be be so poor but that's the way it turned out and um it was unfortunate and i'm taking i'm still getting calls to this day about people that were disappointed in, in our prediction and it, it just didn't really materialize
1: Is there any theory or was it just a lot of things came together Ted in, in your mind that just uh, didn't make things work out the way you wanted to
3: well this one was something unusual I mean there's a lot of things that can go into that you know everything I read in the paper I think uh, about Minnesota natural resources. I was thinking, how would this affect rough grouse? And I saw an article on septic systems a couple months ago, and they were talking about 30% less snow, according to their climatologist, um, in the last 15 years as opposed to the 15 before that. And that overwinter survival thing is a big thing for rough grouse. They do well in areas where there's lots of snow because they like to burrow into the snow to both thermoregulate it keeps them warmer it's more efficient and and they're also less susceptible to predators then if they're hidden in the snow and can't be um seen so that's one thing that could change there there's there's all kinds of of other things too but um yeah i don't know it um we've been doing the the drumming counts the surveys for I think, 70 years now, at least 69 years. And usually there's a pretty good correlation that when you have a high drumming count, um, the hunting should uh, be good in the fall. And
4: we always say
3: that the extra variable there is how good the reproduction is over the summer, thinking that colder, wet springs, particularly June, could be um, tough on grouse. But we had normal temperature, normal precipitation, and yet we went from a very high drumming count to um the cycle dropping off now this year and and it's it's sort of a mystery to me but um i don't know we're we're looking at several things but i don't know if we'll ever know because it's a tough thing to determine when you're talking wild populations like that it would take some pretty intensive study to figure it out but one thing that other states are looking at that we're going to participate in some investigations of west nile virus we don't have any reason to believe it's a significant cause here, but at the same time, we don't know. And some other states, particularly Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, are looking a little bit more closely at that as a possibility, but um, it could be. It could be having an effect, but um, we haven't haven't determined that here yet, but we're going to take a look at it this fall.
1: What is your optimism coming off of this past uh, spring's drumming counts?
3: Well, you know they were up. The increase was up fifty-seven percent last year, and then now this year they were down twenty-nine percent. So, I'm. It's the same thing there. If you have decent reproduction, you can still have a decent fall, even if the drumming count um, is is down some. But. Um, I don't know. I love grouse season. I'm going anyhow, and and the the diehard hunters will tell you that they prefer the years when it's bad because there's fewer people out there competing for the good spots. So um, those of us who who hunt all the time, it it doesn't bother us. But I I don't know. Maybe I'll I'll just say it out loud on the radio. I don't think it's going to be a banner year, and now. It'll turn out that it will be because last year I said it would be great and it wasn't. So shows you what I know,
1: right? Well, and I would imagine too the the, the normal spots, uh, Ted, that that are real havens for grouse in the state. They're still pretty good. And are you seeing any expansion at all? And and I hopefully are not seeing a decrease in some of the the numbers in in some of those areas.
3: Well, you know, the the key to it all is is habitat and where you have good habitat and when a hunter knows where to go look, particularly for that mix of. Forest, um, aspen is uh, a high aspen component, is the type of forest they do the best in. So, if you have lots of aspen but kind of mixed forest with some conifers and then some age classes, they really do well in that younger, thicker, regenerating forest because that, um, protects them from avian predators more effectively. So, if you, if you know how to look for the good habitat, you're going to find more grouse there. But, um, last year was really. I mean, we, we've we been hunting some of those spots for probably 40 years, my family has, or, or longer. And it was just um, really a surprise that um, that there were so few grouse in those spots. So, yeah, you'll have to find the good ones. But um, it's always fun to do it, but I wouldn't expect the, um, the 40 or 50 flushes a day, definitely.
1: And is it still, you know, those areas, kind of the northern, uh, north-central parts of Minnesota, even northeastern parts of the state, are they still those? Uh, that's kind of the, the big area right now
3: yeah you know the 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 forested part of the state there's sort of that transition line that runs a little south of Brainerd and down to the southeast toward the cities where there's more forest to the northeast of that and more egg to the to the southwest but grouse can be found in any forested part of the state, but really the highest densities um the best hunting um would be from where you are or a little northeast of there and then going north so sometimes I'll draw. Uh, a circle around grand rapids and say within a a hundred miles of there, is probably our our best stuff in minnesota so that gets you down in the in the brainerd area but um you can you can hunt there i know Soberg does i should give you some of his good spots right close (laughs) to, to brainerd there but um um stuff up to the up to the just to the north of there the nice benefit is there's a higher percentage of public land so for the person um, looking for a public land place to go, you know, just the percentage of what's public gets a little higher when you get a little bit north of um, central Minnesota when you get up toward uh, Walker, Bemidji, Grand Rapids, because then you have national forest in addition to the county and the state forest. So it's just uh, easier to find more public land, and that I, I like those spots where you don't have to worry too much about trespassing or wandering off the ownership that you think you're on.
1: A couple more things with you, Ted. Uh, Number one, when you mention drumming counts, for somebody that's new to the show, uh, maybe not adept to hunting, and they hear the term drumming counts, they're going, what is he talking about? What goes into that?
3: Well, you know, it's always difficult to count wild populations, especially in the woods, like upland birds in the woods. So you try to look for some sort of uh, behavior that that gives away the presence of a of a bird but you know you don't have to actually go see it or spot it so rough grouse have this unique behavior called drumming and it's basically a male grouse setting up a territory out in the woods and then trying to attract females for breeding so it sort of serves two purposes it tells the other males that you've got this territory staked out and then females in the area if they if they like that territory and they like the way you drum they they might come in uh to your drumming log but a, a a grouse will will set up on a log and um typically they do it most often in the morning, but it's primarily a springtime thing for the breeding purpose and um they they basically flap their wings while they're standing in place, and the drum is sort of a a vacuum uh like sort of like thunder they flap their wing quickly and uh and the um air rushes in behind it and creates sort of a thump and people describe it like a, a distant old tractor starting in the woods and every time we describe that to people that in very oh i've heard that before i never knew what it was and it's um that's a drum it starts out slow and it sounds like a motor starting up so it's kind of thump 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 and it um it's a way that that they make a sound out there that, that um, attracts females for breeding and, and keeps the males out of the territory. And so we set up routes and, and time it just right on those certain mornings in April and early May where we we'll go out and run that route and stop and listen at designated sites. So typically it's, I think you go every mile and listen for four minutes and you just count how many of those drum cycles you hear in that four minutes. And Between a a slow year and a good year, it can range dramatically. And and this cycle we talk about with the drumming counts, this number of grouse and the number of drums you hear shows a neat um, pattern over the 70 years we've been doing it that it tends to uh, reach a high level every um, 10 years, and then it it drops down. And so it kind of ebbs and flows um, every 10 years. Nobody knows for sure what causes the population to go up and down like that it's kind of one of those uh interesting mysteries that are still out there something we haven't solved but it it gives us an easy way to determine changes in the population over time it's not made to be a predictor of the fall hunting success like i told people last year and was wrong about it but it um if you're if you're in a place where the population's changing significantly, that trend will generally show you over time, whether it's going up or down so it's a it's a cost effective interesting way to gauge that population trend over time so
1: Talking with Ted Dick, he is the Minnesota DNR Forest Game Bird Coordinator uh, about our population of rough grouse here in the state. Uh, a couple more things with you, Ted, before we let you go. Uh, the Rough Grouse Society—we'll uh, talk about their banquet here in just a bit coming up. But uh, the work that they do in coordinating, trying to you know increase and, and keep the habitat that we have, and trying to recruit more hunters too. kind of an uphill battle.
3: Well, it is all the. All the um hunting sports um shooting sports like that have um have had a difficult time in the last few years we've been doing better in minnesota rough grouse are the most popular game bird in in minnesota and in, in most years we uh more people participate and and shoot more grouse than they do pheasants or or uh other birds but um yeah it's um it's it's been tough to do you know our our populations are more urbanized lately people have other things to do they have less exposure to the um the rural lifestyle or or out in the woods and so um it's just um it's it's not as popular as it used to be but that's good for the rest of us because there's there's just as much habitat and open space out there to do it and grouse hunting's easy if you want to try it to go do it on your own but yeah i um i'm a dnr employee but i'm also funded by the rough grouse society and um we we work hard to try to keep the numbers strong by introducing new people offering opportunities and working to improve the habitat to to keep the hunting um uh keep the hunting good for for all of us so um yeah it's something we work on every day
1: and then the banquet coming up uh, august 9th right
3: yeah august 9th in brainerd baxter i understand it's at the uh arrowwood lodge um I think, I, I don't remember the road name, but it's right behind the Jack Pine uh, Brewery and, and some of those others uh, on the north end of Baxter. And um, yeah, August 9th, if you're in the area and you want to come meet some other grouse hunters or um, have a dinner and, and hear what the Rough Grouse Society is about, or if you want to. Criticized the state guy who was wrong on his drumming counts last year and told you it'd be great. I will, I will be there, but Matt Silberg, the magazine editor for the RGS magazine, which is a beautiful magazine, will all be there and we will be trying to um, impress upon people all the good habitat things and hunting things that we do to uh, encourage people to join that organization.
1: So that's coming up on August 9th, and as uh, Ted said, uh, Arrowwood Lodge, right behind Jack Pine Brewery on 371 North and Baxter. Um, if people want more information on the banquet, Ted, and more information on the Rough Grouse Society, and maybe even more information on, you know, just in general, on the grouse population through the DNR, uh, where are places they can go to get all that?
3: Well, for the for the grouse, the biology, the the science stuff, or, or any of that, really, you could call me right here at my... DNR office in Grand Rapids, that's uh, 218-328-8869. Um, uh, with RGS, Rough Grouse Society, has a uh, website. You can go there and uh, just just Google Rough Grouse Society, and then they have a list of chapters and banquets and programs and a lot of other information there. Give us a call or shoot me an email, ted.dick, t-e-d at state u-s. Um, There's a very good chapter in Brainerd Baxter, um, Matt Soberg, and and the other people involved in that. They're um, helpful people, and they love to talk about this, so I think you can get Matt's um, email address and contact info out of the RGS magazine or off the website. You can uh, call any of us, call me here, and um, we can send you in the right direction.
1: Uh, once again, the uh, Rough Grouse Society Banquet here in uh, Brainerd Baxter, August the 9th. That is Ted Dick. He is a Minnesota DNR Forest Game Bird Coordinator and a very good friend of Brainerd Outdoors. Ted, is always great to talk to you. Always some great information, and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you this fall.
3: Sure. Anytime. i would um, happy to do it, and uh, thanks for the opportunity today.
1: More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. It's been a little while since we've talked to uh, Brian Koshinina with Muskies and More Guide Service down in the Twin Cities Metro. So I thought we'd bring Brian back this week to talk a little bit about uh, a lot of things. Uh, obviously, water temps are quite a bit higher than what we're used to this time of year. And we're going to talk to Brian about that, uh, especially when it comes to muskie fishing. But uh, first of all, Brian, welcome back. Good, good to, to have you Yeah, good to have you back on. And how have things been? I mean, we haven't talked to you in a few weeks. You having a pretty good summer so far?
5: Busy, 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 busy. A lot of people want to fish for uh, fish they can keep. So it's it's been a really good year, especially with crappies.
1: Yeah, and I wanted to talk to you about that because we're starting to get a pretty good crappie bite up here. You and I were talking off air before we went on. You said things are going real good for crappies down by you there in the metro.
5: Yeah, there's a few lakes that um, I've had some four-hour and eight-hour trips where we've been up in the actual 300s uh, for fish caught and, um, you know, limits for everybody so it's been a really great year and the way i've been getting them of course is I've, I've talked about it before is my trolling method um but i've also switched up a little bit i've been using mini cranks and also on um, some mini sp- spinner blades um which have been really really hot this year um and uh you know like my normal trolling with the um uh, you know, 16-ounce jig and a a 2-inch grub, I mean, um, you can throw that in the arsenal and and have more success.
1: Is it the more prominent lakes down that people know about in the metro, or are you hitting some some smaller lakes that you've kind of stowed away in your own memory?
5: Well, you know, the smaller lakes have been producing really well, and I think that has a lot to do with recreation uh, use. You know, right now, you know, everybody's out, you know, jet skiing, pleasure boating, uh, swimming, everything else, you know, and it's got the fish, you know, bunched up, and you're finding fish in the, um, you know, between the nine and, and twelve foot range. Uh, but a lot of times, it's hard to get to those spots because you got jet skiers going by, you've got, you know, boats constantly by you. So I tend to stick to the smaller lakes. Um, you know, less traffic, there's still recreation boats out there, but just not as much. And, and, you know, there's, there's smaller lakes where, you know, they're just pretty much fishing lakes and people tend to go gravitate more, more towards the bigger lakes. So I yes, I do prefer the smaller lakes at this time of year.
1: I would imagine as a guy, that's going to be the most challenging thing down in the Metro there because, uh. You know, fishing up here, you know, we get our fair share of recreational boaters as well, especially a lot of people from the Twin Cities come up. But uh, I would imagine down there it's just a little bit different ballgame than what you're used to when you're fishing up here, Brian.
5: <laughs> it actually gets pretty crazy. Um, you know, it's not only the long waits uh, at the launch, but you really got to watch out for yourself, you know, and your, and your clients when you're on these bigger lakes, like, let's say, Minnetonka. I mean, I've had several close calls with not only jet skiers, but, you know, 28 foot craft. And, uh, you know, that gets a little hairy when they're not moving and (laughs) and you're in their way. They're not going to stop. So, uh, but, you know, it's kind of funny that you brought that up because I I had a trip of a few weeks ago. Um, We were out on um, on Minnetonka and uh, I had a jet skier that was getting very, very close to me. And, you know, we just decided at that time, I'm like, you know what? I'm not taking it. It's more of a safety concern now, and I'm not taking that chance. So we're going to go to a smaller lake, and and we had a lot of success. We got right on and and didn't have to wait for the long lines. In fact, I don't don't know, you know, my typical guide trip in the summer, I usually have to get to the lake about two and a half hours just to make sure that I get a spot. So it, it gets really busy down here.
1: I would imagine so, so that's just another challenge. But as you said, though, the crappie bite, if people are down there and want to get out and do a little fishing? Uh, that would be the best way to go right now, I think.
5: Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, hit the smaller lakes. Um, you know, stay close to the weed lines and 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 try different techniques. Get out of your uh, comfort zone. A lot of people make the mistake too. Uh, a lot of anglers uh, that they they try the same method year round, and if it's not working for you, you got to get out of your comfort zone. You know, try trolling. Uh, you know, small crankbaits. baits. Try uh, casting out small spinner spinner baits or. You know, try something di- different, and, you know, you, you probably have some more success. You'll be really surprised, and you'll add more more techniques to your arsenal.
1: Now, one of the things I wanted to get into with you, and we've been talking about this the last couple of weeks, uh, higher water temps, and we're going to get into talking especially with muskies uh, with you here in just a little bit. First, I wanted to touch on a couple of other species, Brian. And um, First off, what are your surface temps down there right now? I'm sure quite a bit higher than what you're used to.
5: Yeah, they're actually between 80 and 85. Wow. Uh, they're really high right now. And, um, you know, I just saw a post out on Facebook of a, a guy that had mentioned, uh, you know, the walleyes on Mille Lacs. So while well, the the surface temp on Mille Lacs is actually higher this year and uh, in, in, in more than normal. And, uh, you know, walleyes are really susceptible to that, too, um, not only bringing them up from, uh, you know, their air or air bladders, um, bringing them up from deep water, but also you know, um, handling the fish for too long, and uh, it's not great. If you're gonna catch a fish, these you know, if you're not gonna eat it, get it right back into the water. And um, you know, if you're if you're on the bigger predator fish, take the time, and in fact, take more time to release them. You know, your pike, your musky, your walleye. Um, make sure these fish are right, because um, if if not, you, you know, uh, there's less fish. You know the higher mortality rate with the with the with the warmer surface temps.
1: And you, with you know, being the name of your guide service is Muskies and more guide service. You do a lot of musky trips, but you were telling me when it gets like this, Brian, you kind of back off from that a little bit. And if anything, if you do do some musky trips, you do it really, really early in the morning.
5: In fact, I, I have a trip this Saturday, um, and uh, I, t- I told my clients I'm like, we're going to start even before sunrise. Um, I'm going to start about four o'clock because that's when the temps are are, are lowest and um you know in the summer oxygen levels decrease you know as the temp rises and of course your battle with the muskie occurs at the surface and that's where the hottest uh, temps are and in, in the lake are the surface and the fish actually build up lactic acid in their bodies and if they don't have time to recover they actually die and if you don't take the time to recover with these fish um they, they actually have a delayed mortality um where you know you might think a fish is fine and that you that you've done everything to 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 revive this fish and, and get it back and they might fish uh you know swim off but you know a few days later that fish is floating and um so typically what i do is i i I will put the rods away. I think this is actually going to be my last musky trip is this Saturday. Um, I just don't like taking the chances. Um, in fact, I, it's kind of hard to tell clients that they, I don't want them to take the fish out of their water with their, you know, their 50 inch trophy. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, there's more and more musky fishermen, um, and less fish at this time, and we really have to protect them.
1: Yeah, you said basically these muskies will basically fight to the death. And so they're, they're exerting so much energy that uh, by the time people get them both side, I mean, they're spent.
5: Oh, yeah. Well, well put it this way. Here's an, uh, here's an analogy for you. 100 degrees outside, 70% humidity, go outside and work out for four hours. Straight. No break. And that's basically what these fish are doing. I mean, they, these fish will fight to the death. And, um, you know, I mean, in any kind of fishing, you're going to lose some fish. But, you know, if we don't have to fish for them and if you don't have to take them out of the, out of the water and get your pitcher and, and handle them more than what you need to, I mean, the better. And, uh, you know, save these fish and, and fight them again in September and October, November when the, when the, when the water temps get out. Or, or get down and they get active again.
1: And I know what, like with Steve out of Malax, what he's kind of gotten into the habit of doing now is they basically don't even get them into the boat; they just release them right there in the water. So I guess if people had to get out there and musky fish, that's probably the best way to do it, Brian.
5: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Don't even take them out 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 of the water. Um, handle them. The less you handle them, the better. I mean, literally, you know, have a good set of players. Cut that hook if you have to, or you know, use a good set of uh, needle nose. And and take that hook out and just just hold on to that fish until you feel them tense up and you know they're strong enough and, and just let them go. If you have to take a picture, you know try to get your head in there and and go over the side and and take that picture with your fish. But the less you handle them, the better.
1: So that's some good advice there, uh, and I'm sure a lot of muskie anglers probably, the diehards probably already know that, but uh, maybe somebody that's a, you know new to the sport, there's some things you can learn there. One last thing, getting off the muskies here for a bit too, Brian, uh, down by you there's always some pretty good bass fishing. How's that been?
5: <laughs> bass has been outstanding. In fact, uh, yesterday I was scouting for a walleye trip, and I couldn't keep them off the hook. Um, I literally caught probably 100 yesterday. Um, one of my clients the other day, I mean, we've been pulling six, five, six pounders out pretty regularly. And you're not only finding fish under, you know, in the, in the normal, you know, deeper spots with big females, but you're also finding them in, in, in the lily pads. And that's another thing. Concentrate on lily pads. Take the time. Um, you know, uh, fan cast. Use frogs. Um, use punch baits like like a three or four aught hook and a creature bait. It's like a three ounce uh, sinker. Get it into those holes and they're, they're, it, it's holding big fish and they're hungry right now. And uh, one one way of knowing if you're on a if you're gonna be on a good frog bite is not only you know are the pads healthy and they're their they're full, but look at the roads as you're as you're coming into the launch. If you're seeing a lot of dead frogs on the road, that's a good indicator to start start casting your frogs.
1: Mandy will be so happy that she hears us talking frogging on the show this week. I know that.
5: <laughs> no, she loves it. I know she loves it, and she's a great... She's a great frog fisherman, I can tell you that.
1: It is a passion for her, there's no doubt about that. One last thing, Brian, down there. uh, Are you starting to see the lake green up a little bit? I know we've had some algae blooms and stuff up here, and we've had some mayfly hatches, and and I haven't heard much for as far as tulipy die-off or anything like that, but are you seeing anything like that down there with those high-water temps?
5: Actually, no, not quite yet. Um, I've I've seen a little bit of it, but uh, most of the lakes I've been fishing are pretty clear right now. Um, but if you go down to, like, the Faribault area where there's high, um, there's high algae due to, you know, farm, farms and, and, and runoff, um, you are those lakes are, you know, split pea green. I mean, those lakes are thick. But up here in the cities, they're not too bad. They're actually still pretty clear.
1: There you go. That's Brian Cochinita, Muskies and More Guide Service down on the Twin Cities Metro. Brian, if people want more info on you, maybe you want to book a trip down there, how can they do that?
5: Sure, they can get me at, uh, they can find me at muskiesandmore.com. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Brian Kosmino's Muskies and More Guide Service or Muskies and More Guide Service, or you can get me on Fishing Booker, or you can find me. You can actually call me at six five one two one zero zero one two eight.
1: There you go, Brian Koshanina, Muskies and More Guide Service, a good friend of Brainerd Outdoors. As always, good to talk to you, buddy, and uh, we'll chat here down the line. Okay.
5: Sounds good, Brian. Thanks again for the opportunity.
1: More of Brainerd Outdoors after this on B ninety three point three. Time for our Famish Fisherman recipe here on Brainerd Outdoors. And we bring in Chef Joel at Black Bear Lodge and Saloon 371 North in Baxter. Here we are, Joel, and you right on point have got a walleye recipe for us. And once again, uh, it looks really simple, yet at the same time perfect for this weekend. Grilled walleye with balsamic tomatoes.
4: So we're going to start off with a preheating grill. Get that to a nice medium-high heat. Get a couple of nice nice big walleye fillets. Rub them down with a little bit of uh, olive oil. And just do a little salt and pepper on there and set those aside. Let the seasoning soak in a little bit. Take a nice big mixing bowl and some cherry tomatoes. Get those nice and cut in half. We'll toss those into a, a little bit of olive oil and balsamic vinegar. Mix those two together, the oil and vinegar together. Kind of whip it together. Add in your tomatoes, a little bit of fresh chopped basil, some fresh garlic, some salt and pepper. Just kind of combine that together you know, nice and gently. don't want to break the tomatoes up too much. Let that sit at room temperature, you know, 10, 15 minutes or so. In the meantime, we can start grilling our fish. Just toss them on a nice hot grill, You know, give them a quarter turn, get a nice grill mark in there, four to five minutes each side, and serve your walleye with the uh, top with balsamic tomatoes and a little bit of Parmesan cheese on top.
1: Got a good dish. Perfect for taking to the cabin. There is no doubt about Perfect. that. Yeah. One question, if somebody didn't want to grill, but and maybe they didn't have access or something like that, but maybe could do something on a skillet or something like that, can you make variations for this? Definitely.
4: You could even do... Um, you know, broil off your fish. You know, a little bit of oil or oil and butter, water and butter, or uh yeah, even a nice simple pan fry would be good on this too. There you go. So, if you want to give it a try, just head to our uh, website, Radio dot
1: com. Click on the recipes tab. You got this one and a ton of other recipes for you to check out. That's grilled walleye with balsamic tomatoes. or Famous Fisherman Recipe for this weekend. Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, 371 North in Baxter. Thanks, Joel. Thank you, Brian. That'll put a wrap on this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, Monday mornings at 5. You can also stream us live online, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the Listen Live tab. And if you missed us or want to relive some of the show, you can listen on demand a variety of ways. BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com is also the place to go for that. Or you can check us out. Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iTunes, wherever you download podcasts, you can find Brainerd Outdoors. Subscribe, and we'd appreciate it if you gave us a nice rate and review. We'll see you next weekend. For Brainerd Outdoors, I'm Brian Moon.